kind of going stubbornly until what I like to say was I found myself at at my version of rock bottom, but in a way that God really graciously spared me a lot of lifelong consequences and scars, but it was really my version of rock bottom. I sat there and I knew he was speaking to me. And that's where I was really in that moment where I felt like he was saying to me, you are my child. You can't continue down this path. You cannot continue down this way. You're gonna have to make a choice. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, Psalm 107.2. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, we're gonna talk with an author, but she's not just an author, she's a longtime friend of mine. Her family I've known for so many years. Matter of fact, her parents go back to the youth group (laughs) when I was like 16 years old. That dates me, (laughs) but anyway, we wanna welcome Rachel Kendall to the program. Rachel, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Well, thank you, I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to tell the story of this new book. Now, this is, I believe, your first publication. Is that right? It is. Brand new author. (laughs) (laughs) Brand new author. Well, the book is called Abide Side by Side, Learning to Draw Closer to Jesus Together in a World That's Wandering Away. And it's definitely wandering away. Oh, man. Everywhere you look. I mean, this is not new information for any of our listeners, I'm sure. This is just wherever you look, we're being... Pulled away from truth, pulled away from connection, from community, from Jesus. The world is wandering. It's really that battle of the two kingdoms. It's God's kingdom in the other kingdom that we've been pulled out of. We've been pulled out of the darkness and enslavement that we were in because of our sin. Thankful to Jesus, right? Absolutely. Before we dive into the book, I want to share some of your backstory. Give us a little bit about growing up. Tell your story. Well, I was raised in a wonderful Christian family in a Christian home. I became a believer at a really early age. And, you know, my faith was real. I never doubted my faith in Jesus, but I never really, really, truly went to him for my fulfillment, for my satisfaction in every deep area of my life. You know, as I was entering my my early teen years, I started looking for, for approval and for satisfaction just in all the wrong places, yeah. as so many of us do. And I just was not learning to draw close to Jesus during that time of my life, it took me down a pretty dark road. But didn't you talk about in your book a, a hole that you were trying to fill? Even though you had Jesus, there was this hole that you just were trying to fill it with things. Absolutely. Like we're all made with this Jesus-sized hole, essentially, and he he is enough to fully just fill us up and satisfy us. But we have to let him. We have to allow him to come in and fill that hole. And so much of the time we get distracted and look around at the things of the world that seem really shiny and enticing and is really just full of lies. And I was just falling into that trap of just following after all the wrong things. Rachel, doesn't the Bible say that he stands at the door and knocks? I think similar how he pursues us. He's knocking gently, wanting to get our attention, but we have to respond, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible says in James that when we come near to him, he comes near to us. And so, yeah, he's always there and he is waiting, but we have to draw near to him. Yeah. yeah, And we have to, you know, we have to do our part and take action. He's Mm. not going to force us. No. Well, again, the book, Abide Side by Side, Learning How to Draw Closer to Jesus Together in a World That's Wandering Away. Now, the book is designed really as a discipleship tool, isn't it? It is. So, you know, I kind of said the beginning part of the story, but I want to finish a little bit because God really got a hold of my life in my early teen years. I came to a place where he just 
so strongly felt him say, you are my child. You, you cannot keep living this well, way. You open in your book, Rachel, by talking about how we are looking for our worth in the things of the world rather than in Jesus, things that will eventually begin to crumble. And you discovered that for real in your own life. Oh, yes. So this time in my life, it was about halfway through high school, and he just got a hold of my heart. And really did a miraculous work that could only be credited to him. So I I say it's not my story at all. My story on my own would be complete failure. (laughs) But my story in Jesus was he did a life changing work in my heart that could only come from him. And he just taught me step by step just how to draw close to him and how to learn what it was to truly abide in him and how he satisfies every need in our heart and the joy that comes from just living with him and walking with him. And so working with youth especially has always been something that's been so dear to my heart. And I've always looked for resources on meeting with people in small group settings or in one-on-one settings. And so that's kind of how this book was birthed because I wanted to have a resource to get somebody right at their starting point spiritually to where we could come together. They could have homework. They could do some things that they wrote down. We'd have things to talk about. But just at a starting point of, you know, wherever you are, maybe you're a baby believer. Maybe you have wandered away like I had and you don't really know how to take a step back. Maybe you've been a believer for a really long time, but you've just never learned to mature in your faith or grow in your faith or just for a new believer. And so I was just hoping it could really be a starting point to go and walk with somebody for 12 weeks and say, let's grow together. And that's what you do. And I love this about the book. You walk your readers through 12 chapters, such as where do you find yourself today? The heart of the matter, only Jesus can satisfy. Better together, you need a new wardrobe. Stop listening to lies, the perfect tan, abiding in prayer, abiding in worship, abiding in the word. He will never leave you in the final chapter. Go and make disciples. Now, through some choices you made early in life, you say that you became a person that you didn't even recognize. Yeah, I, I think that sin, sin does this. It's like you make a small compromise that doesn't seem like a very big deal. It's not, it doesn't seem life changing. And then when you continue on in that path, sin doesn't really just stay the same size, I don't think. I think that when you are continuing on in unconfessed sin in your life, it grows and it takes you kind of down a spiral faster than you could ever imagine that it would. So where I found myself was, yeah, just somebody I didn't even recognize. When I had first made some small compromises here or there, I never imagined that I would end up where I was. And so it's so important, I think, that when we do mess up, we're not going to be perfect. When we make mistakes, to be in the habit of weeding out the sins instead of letting it become a whole overgrown (laughs) garden full of weeds, but just to weed it out as it comes and not to live a life of unconfessed sin. Well, you say there was a series of radical events that God used to draw you back to himself. Yes. I was walking down a path. I knew there would be a consequence. And I knew that it was God gently trying to draw me back, but he was going to give me a choice. I kept kind of going stubbornly until what I like to say was I found myself at at my version of rock bottom, but in a way that God really graciously spared me a lot of lifelong consequences and scars, but it was really my version of rock bottom. I sat there and I knew he was speaking to me. And that's where I was really in that moment where I felt like he was saying to me, you are my child. You can't continue down this path. You cannot continue down this way. You're going to have to make a choice. 
Did it surprise you, Rachel, that God was relentlessly pursuing you with his love after you had gone through that? Did that surprise you at all? You know, I think it did back then. This has been so many years ago that it's hard to say. We're all kind of prone to a works-based relationship with God, aren't we? Absolutely. Thinking if we do this or that, A, B, C, or D, then God's going to accept us or love us. Absolutely. And I really did struggle for a long time really understanding His grace and really understanding why He would pursue me and understanding His complete forgiveness. It's life-changing. And so He drew me close and taught me that along the way. And I'm so forever grateful for his yeah. grace and redemption. It's life changing. Well, you reference Romans 5 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Absolutely. You don't have to clean up your life before he's ready to. I mean, he loves us on our worst day. And that's real love, isn't it? It is. <laughs> You know, we're all prone to wonder from fellowship and closeness with God if we're not actively growing in that relationship with Christ. It's just every day, you know, the Christian faith, it's not just a one-time repent, one-time of belief. It's a continual, daily repenting and believing, not for salvation, but for renewal and getting that closeness with the Father. Absolutely. And I really think that's the concept of, of learning to abide in Him and learning what it means to abide or stick with him or just stay connected to him in our everyday life, day in and day out, every day. Why do you think that just knowledge of God's word and just going to church on Sundays isn't enough? It's one thing to have knowledge and have it all up here and to know it. And it's another thing for it to really reach your heart. We're made for this personal connection mm. and this personal relationship. And and he so desires for us to grow deeper and closer to him personally and not just know about him. That makes all the difference in your walk and in your life when you are walking in this relationship with him. That's really a good word there, Rachel. Well, you encourage your readers to Find someone who loves Jesus and maybe a little further along in their walk with Christ and ask them to go through the study with you. Time together, one-on-one, is that kind of the purpose? Yeah, so the book is written and directed toward young women. So if somebody picked it up and they read through the first chapter, at the end of the first chapter, it does ask them to do that. But also, ideally, this can be laid on the heart of of mature women in their faith to take it and approach somebody before they even get to that point. And so that's what I'm seeing right now is we're taking a group of women in our church through an in-person Bible study to kind of go through this in a shorter time frame, but also encouraging and equipping and challenging them to go out and disciple the next generation. So as we read through the book, we're just asking them to to pray that God will lay somebody on their heart to walk through this book with and, and that they don't have to approach them in a really formal way of, oh, would you like to be discipled? They could just say, hey, I've... I've uh, started this Bible study. Would you like to go through it with me? I'd love to meet with you each week. There's structure here to help guide you, but sometimes you're being real transparent. You're pulling out of somebody, maybe some things out of the closet they don't want to share or have never shared. Right. And so the questions really lead in that direction. And so ideally, if you were discipling a young woman, then you would take the book, you would complete a chapter in the week, and they would complete the chapter, and then y'all meet together for, a you know, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, once a week, and have this time of one-on-one connection. So hopefully, they are completing the work and answering the questions. It is not overwhelming for them to complete the work, but the questions are very specifically leading them in heart 
directions. Yeah. So did you develop the material for the book before even thinking about writing the book? Were you already implementing this in relationships with young girls prior to writing the book? I've discipled young women and I've taught them in Sunday school for years. So these are definitely things that I've implemented and things that I've kind of shifted when when certain things weren't working. I've definitely found that when you meet together and you don't have something that you're both doing separately and where they're writing down, then you, a lot of times when you meet together, you get a a real glazed over look and it's not very conducive for conversation. I've found people being so open and willing to share. But I also think that when you are the one in charge of, of meeting with somebody, the more open and vulnerable you are to share your story. My real hope is that this is just an outline and a shell that each person who comes and mentors or disciples somebody else, they're weaving in their story of what God's done in their life and sharing wisdom that God's taught them along the way. And that this can just be a tool to help make it seem a little less overwhelming or daunting because some people just don't know where to start. Yeah. You know, and you, you need a safe place to communicate these things. You need someone that you can be safe with especially if you start being vulnerable and and transparent, you know, with past life and if you want to be real honest with someone. So you really got to pray, don't you, to find that right person? Because it it might be a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of people who could just sit down and go through the book with you, but finding that right person. Right, right. And so I I think in in both instances, if you are a woman who's wanting to pour into somebody in the next generation and you're not really sure who— then be praying. Be praying that God will, will lay somebody on your, on your heart or go and ask your youth pastor at your church and ask if he has anybody in mind that this would be really good for and be praying for God to work on their heart. And then also I've heard from so many kids that they they are sitting there praying and asking for someone to come pour into them. Yeah. Kids are really dying for connection and attention right now. Things have just drastically changed for this generation. And they to have somebody in their church come up to them and say, hey, I'd love to get together with you, meet with you, pray for you, encourage you and go through this Bible study. I mean, I think it'd be a really rare thing that somebody would not welcome that. They may act a little shy or embarrassed about it and maybe a little awkward at first, and that's okay. But they are craving connection and attention and just imagine for somebody other than their mother (laughs) to come and and want to pour into them and know that they're praying for them and they're cheering them on and just want to run close to the heart of Jesus together. They're so open to it. I'm glad you shared that because I think that's a good word for parents to hear too. Pray for your child. Absolutely. You don't have to be the one. I mean, maybe you as as a parent could go through this material with your child. But maybe also you could pray that God would provide someone through your church, maybe a ladies group that you're involved with who would be willing to say, maybe my daughter might be more open to share with you about their life and you could help mentor them and and use this book as a guide. Absolutely. And I don't see anything wrong with as a parent going and asking somebody Yeah. and going and say, hey, my kid is struggling right now and I'm struggling having a connection with them and we are pouring into them at home. You know, it's our responsibility as parents to pour into and disciple our kids. Absolutely. But to have that double layer of somebody else to come in and really care about them, for sure, pray for somebody to come. But, you know, if somebody came and approached me and asked me if I would be willing to do that with their daughter, then absolutely. I'd be so excited for that. Oh, I think that's a great idea, Rachel. Okay. In chapter two of the book, you ask some revealing questions like, how important is integrity to you? Do you have the desire to do the right thing even when no one is watching? 
Do you struggle to stand up for what's right, even when everyone else seems to be doing the wrong thing? Do you have the desire to turn away from sin? Are the things of the world enticing you? Now, some, Rachel, might find these questions very revealing and hard to answer. Absolutely. I mean, they're tough. And I give them kind of a fair warning at the beginning of chapter two, like, hey, we're about to get real right here. (laughs) And I also tell them it is okay to be honest with yourself, because so much of the time we're not even honest with ourselves on some of these things. And it's okay to be honest with God because he already knows what's in your heart and it's not going to shock him and he can handle it. But getting really honest with where we are is the first step to being able to then move in a new direction. And so in that chapter, I talk about when God just first brought me back to him. If you had asked me, do you have a desire to grow close to Jesus right in that moment? No, I did not. I did not have a desire for the things of the Lord. I, I had been really entrenched with the things of the world, but I knew I wanted to change. I just didn't know how to get there. And so I talk about in this chapter. You talk about a prayer you prayed, and yeah. I love that. It's a real honest prayer, too. I just prayed, God, I don't have the desire, but I'm going to ask that you'll give it to me. And then I followed him in obedience towards it. So I think both are so important if we just say, oh, God, help me to want to be in your word. But then we never make a time to open up the word and sit down and do it. Then that's not asking in faith, really. And when we ask him for these desire for things that we know he wants, he wants us to be in his word. He wants us to have a heart that loves truth. He wants us to have a desire for him. So when we come to him and we genuinely say, God, I'm not there. But I'm going to ask that you change my heart because you're the one that can change hearts. But I'm going to do my best and do the best I know how to walk in obedience towards that prayer. And Byron, that's when I really saw God just do this miraculous transformation in my heart that I knew was only from him. Wow, that's so good, Rachel. I can't help but think that someone listening right now is, is right there. And maybe they're struggling with their identity, which you talk about. There's that trap that we fall into by wanting to be accepted, thinking that's how we find our identity. We want it so bad to be accepted. Our reason for doing what we do is not really what God desires. Yeah, when we're looking, when we're looking yeah. in all these other places, which is, is what's being shown to us. I mean, look around in the world and lies and all of these things that are totally contradictory to what God's word says. We're all being flooded with it. But if you think you and I are being flooded with it, this next generation, they're being flooded with it in an overwhelmingly even more than we can imagine. So everywhere they look, there's lies. And everywhere they look, they're trying to be good enough. They're trying to be enough. They're trying to be liked. And so we have got to point them to the truth of God's word, because that's the only place that we're going to find truth about who we are. And it's not because of of how good we are or what we can do or what we can earn, but it's about who we are in him because of who he says we are and what he's done in our lives. You say that in Jesus, there is no striving for our acceptance. He loves us radically and unconditionally. His love for us is the same on our best days and on our worst. We shouldn't forget, but we do. Absolutely. When you really think about that, it takes a lot of pressure off (laughs) because I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be perfect, but When we are confident in who we are in Him, then I love that, that we don't have to strive to be enough. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, this is part of the basis why you feel doing the study together with someone really is beneficial. Absolutely. I think God made us for community. He made us to be better together. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. (laughs) So as one man sharpens another. When we walk together together, then we can encourage each other and hold each other accountable. And 
become better. I think I listed that verse in the chapter that's all about friendship. And so we talk about some of the dangers of the wrong kinds of friendships. Also, just the blessing that godly friendships can be in our life and that that we're not made for isolation. We're made for community and to help encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. Well, because of time constraints, we're going to have to kind of move a little bit quicker here and maybe jump to chapter 11, which you talk about, he will never leave you. In this chapter, I kind of give a little bit of background about the Trinity, specifically then honing in on the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because I think it's so amazing in John when Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to be leaving you, which that would be really bad news. But he said, but you're going to be better off because I'm sending the advocate who's going to be with you and he's going to be your helper. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so as believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And what a comforting thought that is that whatever he calls us to do, he's going to equip us for. He's going to be right there with us and he's never going to leave us. We're not promised a perfect life. We're not promised trouble-free days by any means. But whatever we face, whatever we walk through, he's going to be right there with us. Wrapping up the book, you say that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Really, that's been your experience. And while you wrote this book, too, uh, you tell readers that their story of how God has worked in their life is very unique and powerful, and God wants to use them to have an impact on those around them. So really, you're calling readers to replicate what they've experienced with walking with someone and invest in someone else. Absolutely. The last chapter, the first part of it, walks them through how to share the gospel. We need that as a starting point and walks them through how to share about Jesus. And then I really challenge them, hey, There is no age limit. You don't have to have all the answers to go and just pour into somebody's life. It's all just about linking arms together and drawing close to Jesus and just pointing others to Jesus. And I want them to see that even at an early age, they can do that and that the Holy Spirit can equip them to do that and that they don't have to think that they'll wait to a certain point in life to be able to start ministering and pouring into people, but that they are equipped right now, right where they are, if they are growing in the Lord and if they are walking with Him. Rachel, as you mentioned, you encourage those to share their faith, but you also give an outline what's called the Romans Road. We have listeners today that might be wondering about what's this discipleship? What's this life? What are these bad things that Rachel had, but then a light turned on and she sees things different now? What is the gospel message? Could you just briefly share the gospel with someone listening today that has a heart, wants to receive and know what Jesus has done for them? Absolutely. Um, The Romans Road starts out with Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably no one's really going to argue with me there that we are all sinners. We have all done things that we should not have done. Then in Romans 6, 23, the Bible goes on to say, For the wages or payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. He's telling us the payment for sin is death, but he doesn't leave us there without hope. He said, I already provided a way for you. I have already provided this gift for you of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is that he came to be a sinless sacrifice, to die on the cross for our sins in our place, to take the payment for what we have done and to gladly live that out and take on the punishment meant for us in our place. That's amazing and life-changing when you think about it. 
But see, it says it was a gift. And so we have to reach out and accept it. Something's not yours until you actually reach out and accept it. And so in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's giving you a really clear outline like, You can accept this gift in Jesus, not from anything that you're doing. You don't have to earn it. It's not through works. But just to say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, or he's the leader of my life. I want him to come and be the leader of my life. And I want to turn from my sin. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he was raised from the dead. Yes. And when we believe that and call on his name and accept this gift he's given us, then he comes in and changes our hearts. Oh, Rachel, that is so beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that from your heart today. And thanks again for stopping by and and telling us about this new book again, Abide Side by Side, Learning to Draw Closer to Jesus Together in a World That's Wandering Away. Now, where can we get a copy of your book? It's available on Amazon, but I did want to say you can also go to rachelgkindle.com. So it's R-A-C-H-E-L-G. K-E-N-D-A-L-L.com. And I have the link to the book there. And I also have a digital seven-week women's Bible study. Really? That's available today. And it could be used like in a group setting. So if your church wanted to do a Bible study for women to equip and encourage them to go out and pour into the next generation, then their, their video and outline of how to lead that class for seven weeks Or it's something that you could do just in the comfort of your own home. If this is something that God's laying on your heart, but you feel like you aren't really sure where to start. And so I hope this will just be an encouragement and a tool for you. Because as we go out and pour into this generation and then teach them to go in that generation with their friends, it's it's really exciting. And I've loved watching some of the girls I've walked through this with be so excited about going and pouring in into their yes. friends and oh. walking through this study with their friends. And it's a really exciting thing oh, to see. It is exciting, Rachel. So awesome to have you on. Now, what about social media platforms that people want to follow you? They can find me on Facebook, Rachel Kendall, or on Instagram at Rachel G. Kendall. Now, if somebody is interested in having you come maybe speak to a class, gathering of women, can you do that? Are you available? Absolutely. I would love to do that. They can contact me through my website, or they can send me an email at rachelgkendall at yahoo.com. Awesome. Rachel, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you for what you're allowing Christ to do in and through you by, again, writing this book, Abide Side by Side, Learning to Draw Closer to Jesus Together in a world that's wandering away. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.